Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Joe. Hi, hello. Y'all, today's author had me at the edge of my seat and I could not put this book down. So before we jump to it, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. And of course, feel free to email us. Our email is professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. With that, let's get into today's interview with Aaron E. Adams. My guest today is a first-generation Haitian-American who grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania. She's a writer, theater artist, and self-proclaimed genre lady, as her written work traffics in the worlds of myth, fantasy, horror, and sci-fi. She received her BA with honors in literary arts from Brown University, her MFA in acting from the Old Globe University of San Diego Shiley Graduate Theater Program, and her MFA in dramatic writing from NYU Tisch School of the Arts. Her debut novel, Jackal, is out October 4th from Bantam. It's Erin E. Adams. Erin, hello. Hello, hello. Um, Wow, it is very (laughs) strange to hear your bio read to you. It's like, oh yeah, I, I remember all those moments. I just, I love to call people's accomplishments out to them. Like someone's got to remind, someone's got to remind you just how cool you are and everything that you've accomplished <laughs> before the book even hits shelves. <laughs> I hope so. I hope it's cool and not just like you ran away to college three times, Aaron. <laughs> I mean, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, nothing's wrong. And to be fair, to be honest, nothing is wrong with that. All the school. <laughs> Absolutely. Do what fits you. But uh, thank you for being here. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. To start us off, could you tell us a bit about Jackal? Give us the rundown. Give us the... All right. So um, Jackal is a uh, mystery thriller with a horror bent. Uh, It's about a young Black woman named Liz who returns to her hometown in the Rust Belt. Uh, Her hometown is Johnstown, Pennsylvania. She hasn't come back to town for many, many reasons. Um... Some of it is to do with the tense relationship with her mother. Some of it to do with her tense relationship with the town. Um, but her best friend's wedding is inevitably what draws her back in. Uh, she goes, and while the ceremony seems to be going great, you know, she's avoiding those awkward high school reunions, like someone being like, I know your parents. Uh, the Sometime in the ceremony, the her best friend's daughter is taken. And so as the search begins for this missing child, Liz starts to realize that she has seen something like this before. And as more and more gets uncovered, she realizes there's been a series of missing and then murdered children uh, in the woods near her hometown. She figures out they are all girls and they're all black. And she has to figure out what in the world is going on before it is too late uh, for her best friend's daughter and for Liz herself. 
it's just oh it's so gripping I'm already out of words it's <laughs> it's so exciting I know I said this to you before we started recording but I got an arc of this uh, truly brilliant I sat down I read for like six hours straight stopped to make dinner and like you know take a pause and that whole time I just kept thinking of what was going on what was going to happen next and when I could pick the book back up and finish it and then I just finished it that night so it, I mean it's oh so good so compelling both from like the the thriller end of things and that kind of mystery horror side of things but also from the like really powerful social commentary on being black in America, being black in a small town, uh, just being a woman and in constant danger, even when you think you are in a place where you don't need to lock your doors. I mean, you know, from threats from the KKK to, I, I mean, you kind of tackle a wide gamut just throughout the book as a whole. And of course, no spoilers, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I always appreciate a book that allows me to see how other people live, how experiences that aren't my own exist. I mean, growing up white, growing up uh, as a man, just not having uh, that kind of fear in my own life um, made this additionally horrifying to me because it was more than just what is the creepy thing in the woods. It was also, this is a reality every day for so many people across America. And it's striking to say the least. But kind of speaking of the small town, Jackal takes place or is kind of based off of your hometown, also Johnstown, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, my hometown is Johnstown, uh, Pennsylvania. It is so early copies of early early uh, drafts of this book, mm-hmm. it was kind of I, I went out of my way not to name Johnstown uh, until the point where at one point we got feedback from somebody, and I remember he was like, "Is this Johnstown?" I spent two hours <laughs> like <laughs> researching through all the clues you left, uh, and kind of, we, we um, kind of landed on it was more distracting not to name the town uh, because. Yes, because I mean, as uh, it's a bit of it's in the book and a bit of it, you know, just out in the world, it has an extraordinary history. Right. Um, Do you yeah. want to talk a little bit about the dam and, and Johnstown yeah. as a whole? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to talk about it. So, um, woof, this place, Johnstown, it is a very, I would say whenever I was working with my editor on this, I would say it's a very distinct uh, slice of Americana. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of what happened in the history and what's happening, you know, in the present really speaks to where America is right now as a country in a very interesting way. So the history that I keep referring to, uh, mm-hmm. there was a massive flood in 1889. It um, essentially the South Fork Dam, it was just, you know, a, a dam. Uh, and over the years, it fell into different ownership and disrepair. And the ownership at the time of the flood um, was essentially like a hunting and fishing club. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was where like the rich folks in uh, Pittsburgh uh, went to vacation. Uh, and the, the dam, because it was, you know, a site of a vacation site, the actual upkeep of the dam started to further fall into disarray. And after a, I believe it's a week of heavy rains, I want to say I should know the date exactly, but I know it's in May of 1889. Uh, the 
dam burst and it's about 14 miles Johnstown is in a valley and so 14 miles up the mountain from town the dam burst and just emptied tons metric tons of water down to the unsuspecting town below and completely destroyed it uh for a long time it was the worst natural disaster uh in america's history um and just reading accounts of the of that first flood they are harrowing it like mm -hmm. people's house some people's houses were literally lifted off the foundations and like dropped hundreds of miles away they found bodies hundreds of miles away um the town what because it's so remote all the communication got knocked out so not only was it like an awful terrible tragedy nobody knew about it until right. people literally had to run to other nearby towns to start asking for help and then of course the help poured in it was actually the founding of the red cross happened because of the johnstown flood wow um, yeah <laughs> it and like all of that all of and that's just the tip of the iceberg of the history of this place um, right yeah yeah, you, I I pulled, of course, because <laughs> after you wrap up the the whole beautiful story, you then include an author's note that covers kind of this whole history of Johnstown itself. And and you were right on. It was May 31st, 1889. But yeah. then right the, uh, June 5th is when the Red Cross arrived, uh, led by Clara Barton, which is really yeah. cool. Um, and it was their first major peacetime effort. Yeah. I mean, so so naturally this leads to just like kind of creating a space where people who were below the dam entirely wiped out and then years of, I mean, just kind of rebuild, repair, reclamation. But then is that kind of what almost forced the divide between like uphill, downhill? Um, I'm trying to think of like how best to explain it. Like, yes, it's something I think, um, I also think that the Johnstown flood is an extraordinary case of like um, uh, classism in America, which we really Absolutely. don't talk about all that much. And like the, the, the event, the eventual cause of the flood, I think they finally nailed it down. I want to say it was in 2013. I had oh. better dates before, um, but it took <laughs> a very long time for the actual official cause of the flood to be released and it was you know because the these wealthy folks from out of town turned a dam into their summer homes and didn't take oh. care of it and um it's kind of like it's an extraordinary sorry it's an extraordinary moment of classism mm -hmm. because you're seeing the this like the quote-unquote side effects of the super affluent on this like working class you know steel mill kind of town and you're seeing like the the awful effects of just you know of not not caring for each other not feeding back into the local economies right. and oh and it's like and it's it's even more striking that the um the, the the men who are you know kind of the heads of this country club were making the mass majority of their money in the same industries that were spring johnstown right <laughs> having people like carnegie with his steel mills yeah. in johnstown being one of the people basically responsible for the flooding yeah i think you said it was like the dam was restructured to support carriage travel yeah. and that I, I mean classism it, it, it's it's also so odd because then when you think about it, for it to have the small town feel that it does, especially in Jackal, uh, it's it's so funny to juxtapose that with the idea of like 
there is no actual small town vibes at the end of the day because it was just like the elite and then the people supporting the elite and that that divide keeps it from feeling super super friendly and then to continue sorry and to answer the second half of that question is how does this lead to then the divide we're seeing i think you know to loop it all the way back to the present i think that what we're seeing what we saw in the rust belt specifically was this um this not idea but this like how best to describe it you have like working class people who have like, you know, as we see from the from the destruction of the flood, who have literally carved out a place on a and like in a hostile environment uh-huh. to make this kind of like paradise. And I think for many reasons, usually rooted in fear, it becomes very insular and very much just like was like we have this, why is anyone coming to try to take and seeing outsiders as taking something as opposed to contributing to uh contributing to the society and i think that that fear and that kind of um like it's that thing of like if every like as long as we have like these hierarchical hierarchical social systems like everyone is scrambling for a place ahead and that kind of like the best image i can describe it on is like that scrambling nature is that everyone gets dragged down and the elites still stay up in the elites and everybody else below is always kind of like grabbing it's like crabs in the barrel you're just grabbing at each other's ankles to try and get just a little bit ahead and i think that that really speaks to some of the racial divides that i saw in johnstown when i lived there uh my my my, my family still lives there that i still see to this day that there are these very distinct racial divides around race and class um and i just really especially with jackal wanted to speak to that like i i grew up in johnstown pennsylvania and um i remember when i went to school out of state people are like you're from where what (laughs) (laughs) you grew up like in the woods and I'm like, yes, there are black folks in the woods. Um, <laughs> we're in the woods. Uh, we live in these small towns. And it's a very, like, um, curious, uh, it's a very curious feeling to have, which is a part of me. is like, I feel like I'm so, I'm a bit lost for words because I'm like, I wrote a book about it. Right. <laughs> no, totally. I mean, and you portray such, you said it earlier, Americana, such an interesting facet of Americana. I, I'm in Cleveland, so I'm I'm right in the Rust Belt with you. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I get that. Um, and it's, I think it's something that people who haven't had an experience in a town that at one point was super high on the flourishing end and then hits a fall and, you know, like, we have our own rebuilding kind of going on here today. But I, I don't think unless you've experienced it, you can understand it and it's also exciting to see that expressed you know the the struggle of just like yeah no one knows where i'm from i mean i live in a suburb of cleveland so i say i'm from yeah. cleveland but if i said i'm in parma no one's gonna know that <laughs> exactly exactly johnstown is like a little bit either people you just get a blank expression or they're like oh the flood and i'm like yeah that's it's the flood or nothing that is how people know about Johnstown. How close is that to Pittsburgh? <laughs> oh, yes, yes. It is two hours. <laughs> oh, nice, <laughs> nice. About two hours. It really is like very, very remote. Um, 
which is, I mean, which lends to some of the beauty and the nature and just the, the ability to have, you know, dense woods like that so close to you. Yeah. And, and that like this, the natural setting alone uh, so beautifully lends itself to the genres you've kind of slotted this book in so you've combined thriller and true crime so well into this horror piece that like I had to keep reminding myself to expect something supernatural or otherworldly that like like yeah it's it's supposed to be there because the whole time I'm just like flipping through who's doing this what's going on um but so that kind of mythology did you have influences you pulled from specifically yes um so I pulled from I'm trying to think how best to say things without spoiling too much. Um, sure, I was struggling when I was writing this question. Like, how do I tell her I really did read it? Uh, but also, <laughs> yeah, it's like how do yes, how do we yeah. talk about this? Stop talking about this. Um, so there is obviously um, a very established mythology that I pulled from. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I'm a fan of a library. <laughs> I, I Me love too. A, I know, like I, I love a source that I can like touch um Mm -hmm. and so there's a special shout out to um nyu's library (laughs) with this book did lots of lots of research in there at my time um during my time in school um and then i also something that i can talk about much more freely is i just pulled from like just old ghost stories um Mm -hmm. like sayings about the woods I really was looking into sayings about the woods and things that you don't do quote unquote in the woods um like whistling you know whistle (laughs) um yeah I I learned that I was just like (laughs) I gotta change my hikes (laughs) I know I know it's like you don't whistle in the woods um if you hear something weird no you didn't Mm -hmm. just keep keep going don't give it your attention and really digging into kind of like folklore aspects of all things that I had heard before, but had never really figured out like why you don't do those things. Uh, and as, and then as opposed to like landing on, as we went coming to that kind of more folk horror aspects, instead of landing on something specific, I kind of like <laughs> pick and chose what I wanted and then made something new um, just because that was what I was interested in. Uh, but I, yeah. yeah, I was really digging from like, what are things that I just kind of grew up doing that I um, did not realize were like actual, actual <laughs> yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> like actual things uh, that we know when I left, when I left my small town, people are like, what, wait, why don't you whistle in the woods? And I'm like, you just don't do that. I, mm-hmm. I don't exactly, I can't tell you why I was just told not to. <laughs> right. There is, there is no uh, reason I can give you other than don't ask, just don't do it. Um, <laughs> Literally, that's the, the my next point was going to be the like, if you see something in the trees, no, you didn't. I have heard this a lot reading and TikTok, my For You page <laughs> is full of people in the national parks, in Appalachia, in the small, just like rural town saying like, if you hear your name called and all your doors are locked and all your folks are asleep, no, you didn't. It's yep. like a lot of that. And I'm just like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so there's yeah. there's a long tradition of that. And it's interesting to see that it kind of pops up around the world in the or around kind of the US in this spiritual way. I mean, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem to be directly tied to like human events. Really just seems that like everyone across the board that has lived in a in a place where you are surrounded by the woods 
has these unspoken well I mean they're usually pretty spoken like nope don't do that like here's the checklist Mm -hmm. but that's fascinating do you remember when you first heard someone give you that kind of direction was this something that was a part of your experience growing up I'm really trying to think because the kind of other layer to all of this is um that I come from a Haitian family my mother is Haitian uh so there's also that level of like folklore sure and um and belief systems so I can't think of like when was I specifically told but it was definitely when I was like a kid mm-hmm. as a child I also um I moved to Johnstown when I was in like elementary schoolish okay. so I kind of got that um new girl rundown of like <laughs> this is how to be here yeah which is um I believe I'm, I'm totally going to misquote this person, but I believe it was Lin-Manuel Miranda who said that you make a writer by having somebody who has a foot in both worlds, who's both an insider and an outsider. Um, and I really, especially in writing this book and like in like in most of my writing, I'm like, oh, I definitely, you know, of course, as a teenager, you're like bemoaning your existence <laughs> because you don't feel like you belong anywhere. But as an adult, you're like, oh, this is great because I can both stand inside this experience and stand outside this experience at the same time and kind of like provide a new perspective and a new um, lens. But there is um, the thread that I found with all the folklore stuff that I was told was this idea of ignoring something that um, is putting you in imminent danger. (laughs) Um, Not giving it power, not giving it it like credence. Yeah. Yeah. And I found that to be a, a, a wonderful and terrifying uh, comparison to how this country deals with difficult topics like racism, classism, discrimination, prejudice. Uh, and I was like, yeah, no, there's, there's, something, there's something in here because just don't look at it or just don't talk about that or we don't talk about those things is very much another part of how I grew up in this small town was like, oh, why are you bringing up the past, why are you bringing up things that are difficult to talk about? And I really, one of the hopes of this book is this, the, it's at least for me, I strongly believe that in order to heal, we have to go in and look at all the ugly wounds. We got to get in there and like, see the rotted parts <laughs> in order to get them out. <laughs> in order right. to get it out and to really begin to heal in any capacity that we're going to heal. Now let's take a quick break for our sponsor. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. 
head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Before you book any brunch, you pour over lists and lists of reviews. So why not do the same thing when booking a doctor's appointment? With ZocDoc, you can see real, verified patient reviews to help find the right doctor in your network and in your neighborhood. After all, finding the right doctor is just as, if not more, important than finding the right plate of Eggs Benedict. Go to ZocDoc.com slash ProBookNerds and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash ProBookNerds. ZocDoc.com slash ProBookNerds. And now let's get right back into talking about those books. Well, and, and Liz really kind of personifies that idea of being an insider and an outsider and trying mm-hmm. to pick apart the pieces. And not mm-hmm. only is there that kind of mythos of if you see something, no, you didn't in in the woods, it also is absolutely in her best friend whose wedding she is there to attend. She can, if she sees it within her own family, no, she didn't. Even her, even Mel's relationship to that the whole like rhyme about the mysterious force in the woods is entirely different than everyone else who's actually impacted negatively by it are to her it's something cutesy to like skip out of the woods to and to the people who are living in fear it's you know kind of like it's a it's a prayer it's a call home yeah Oh yeah, absolutely. There are many different levels within all the characters of how much they acknowledge what's going on and how much they don't. And um, something that you were saying before, and I just wanted to, to pick up on is that one of my favorite parts of writing in mystery mm-hmm. is that you get to literally put the world back together through a different lens. Yeah. And I really love that. And so to kind of play with the lens of this rhyme, um, which I made up, this is not a thing. People have asked me that. I made this up. <laughs> um, but to put the um, the world together and see how different people relate to the same thing is something I'm really interested in. And also just um, speaking of the horror genre, like examining something through another lens and thereby making it horrific sometimes i'm very interested in and very like curious about and inspired by absolutely and and i mean oh (laughs) like just a big (laughs) exhale there like it is it is such a beautiful exploration of what these different genres mean to you and kind of to our world and you know for those listening who want to know like is this just a great book to read? Yes, this is just a great book to read. You can absolutely go through the Thank story, you. enjoy the whole thing, but also you can use this as a beautiful piece of examination. I mean, you were talking about it earlier, the the kind of like, don't want to talk about racism, don't want to talk about segregation, don't want to talk about these divides, but then the history of, of your hometown uh, being, you know, like... A, basically segregating plot lines on the map of where houses fall and also the the through line concept of being one of the good ones is so prevalent mm-hmm. and i i remember that's one of the memories that i have of hearing like 
you hear people in the background saying, and then you turn to your mom and you go, what the heck does that mean? You know, at least yeah. that was my experience. Like, I'm sorry, the, the, who, who are they talking about? Like, not my friend. Like, that's, it, you yeah. know, so it's, it's such, such a fascinating thing. And, and so with that idea of being one of the good ones, what's kind of your message uh, for kind of the reader? Oh, man. Um, I know. It's a, um, I, I love the short questions. I love questions that are really meaty and like we have to dig around and right. there sometimes is not as satisfying. Sometimes answering the question is more exciting than the answer sometimes. <laughs> um, but when it comes down to one of the good ones, ooh, I'm like, it's I, I cringe every time I read yeah. it. Like, <laughs> it's, it's something that I definitely grew up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that I have had to deconstruct and, and, and look at in myself where I'm like, what does that mean? Hey, hey, hey. Um, and I'm trying to think about without giving too much away, I would mm-hmm. like for readers to challenge what they think of as good in themselves and who is that goodness benefiting. Absolutely. I think oftentimes, especially marginal marginalized folks, our goodness, quote unquote, is keeping us small and controllable and not validating our concerns and our fears and our feelings. And that sometimes being quote unquote bad um, is being bad is just being human sometimes for people. It's having human feelings, it's being, it's getting angry and being upset and saying, this is not fair and I don't wanna be treated this way. Um, but yeah, I would hope, hope that readers begin to re-examine the goodness in themselves and ask who is that goodness benefiting? If it is benefiting you, then great. But if it's not like, take a look at that. Right. It's also a great time to challenge like the way that we moral police things, you know, that diet culture is popular, is good because it's, you know, healthy X, Y, Z, but like, take a moment to see what behaviors are actually healthy. Take a moment to see Mm -hmm. what's actually good for you as an individual. And that's such an important thing to be able to take away any, anytime if you can reflect for two minutes and just be like, am I making good choices today? That's good question to (laughs) ask yourself every day. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it is something that that like thread of goodness and like mm-hmm. who is like quote unquote one of the good ones. I wanted to I wanted to make it terrifying and scary because yeah. I feel like when I finally began to dismantle that in myself, I was horrified. Like it's a horrifying thing to 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 it's a horrifying thing to realize and the horrifying thing to realize that you engaged in at one point for some folks and to suddenly begin to pull that apart and just be like, what in the world? What systems am I upholding? What am I doing? Why in the world did I seek certain approvals? Mm-hmm. Uh, and to, yeah, to really turn it back onto the self and say like, what, who is this benefiting? Right. I mean, what starts as thinking you're untying a bow on a box becomes like you just unraveled a spool of yarn and now it's Basically. all over the house. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's all over the place. And you're like, <laughs> what is this? Oh. So we've looked at settings and kind of mythos, but how about your characters? Your This book is 
so full of such strong characters. I mean, and and then seeing that you have that kind of like theater background, that's when I went, <laughs> okay, so my brain had already written, you have a tight cast with big roles to play. And that's kind of what's what's here. How do you how do you find your inspiration? Do you pull from that kind of theater mindset when do you, do you find yourself casting your characters? I'm asking the same thing a thousand times. I'll let you answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. Um, yeah, like, absolutely, absolutely a theater background. I think in some parts, um, I found that with specific, specifically fiction writing, a lot of the stuff that I, that I did as an actor that was ultimately detrimental to my process is encouraged in fiction writing. It's great. Um, so uh, something that, you know, they say actors to be careful of is writing like too much of your character's backstory because then you get locked into a way of being the character that might not fit with the work you're doing. Um, as a fiction writer, great. No, tell me all their backstory. Tell me about the one time in childhood that will be with them for the rest of their lives. Like go in and dig into all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I, and it's something where I think, I know, I know that it's from my background in theater that I really, for some reason, I just, I just feel very strongly that I want everyone to have an interesting role, an interesting yeah. moment. I don't want to throw anybody away. And if a character starts to come back over and over again, I'm like, okay, so what's going on with them? How are they changing throughout this piece? What, um, what lessons can we learn from them? Or what role do they play in helping our main character go on their journey? Um, and yeah, that's, and then um, I'm trying to think of inspirations for characters. Like, you know, obviously we draw from ourselves, but mm -hmm. I, will, I will say this now on, on this podcast, on all podcasts, there is no direct correlation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning uh, things about being a writer. And one of which is that my family is eager to figure out who quote unquote they are in the book. I'm like, no one is anyone. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh yeah. I, uh, I was just talking with Adam Sass a couple weeks ago and uh, he said the same thing that he had to be very careful to never pull too many ideas from one person in his life because yeah. And to never confirm anything, because the moment he did, that would live on and haunt him forever. <laughs> yes, except my haunting will be very verbal and very like, Yes, exactly. <laughs> very like, yeah. I can't believe you said that about me in that yes. book that everyone's reading. <laughs> it's like, do you really think that? I'm like, these are not, no correlation. Uh, but I do, I do draw from my own experiences. Um, my main character, Liz, she is also um, Haitian-American. And I just like, I wanted, uh, I wanted just a different facet or like a different like angle on the overall black experience. I feel like so often the black experience is treated like a monolith. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, this experience contains multitudes. There are so many different aspects to it. And I was like, let's just let's just do this one for this book. Let's see what that's like. <laughs> right. And it was also incredibly moving that in a town where she has always felt othered, that she was, you know, like one of three Black kids in her school, yeah. as the story progresses and you realize, well, that's just kind of because of where she lives in this town. And then she's meeting the other kind of like, Black people who just she never engaged with in her life, yeah. that she never had the opportunity to meet. And she it almost feels like she's questioning her own sense of self because she didn't learn the things 
to avoid. She didn't learn these lessons because of the opportunities she was afforded from her her mom's choice in housing and you yeah. know these kind of like it was a it was a fascinating lens to look through. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I it was something where I think everything I write uh is almost always out of like I just didn't see it frequently enough for my liking in media like even if I did find it it was like oh and there's this one little glimmer of it and now it's gone <laughs> or it's like or it's like the one book the one book the one movie the one play exactly well there's something but yeah exactly it's it's never enough so can we talk about formatting for a minute <laughs> yes yes we can talk about formatting <laughs> I it's just so smart. The the way that like even the pacing with formatting that like the first time as you know I'm just like flying through and mm-hmm. I notice the font is different. I'm like mm-hmm. why is the font different all of a sudden? And I'm like oh this is definitely also a different voice. Hmm. So you have uh time jumps uh that are yeah. kind of punctuated by news articles or some sort of kind of like memorandum at the end. Uh mm-hmm you've, I believe, got three different times where you start back at chapter one. So there's mm-hmm. kind of like a, a before moment, a, an after moment, and then like a right now. Um, mm-hmm. And and then, of course, uh, like to the true idea of formatting, you break out dream sequences by changing the justification on the page. So our, mm-hmm. our typical kind of like left or like full side to side aligned moves to the right. Uh, what, what encouraged this, this style, this like stylistic choice? Yes. So um, it's a little bit of a roundabout answer, but I'll try to sure. keep it uh, uh, contained. So in doing some of my research for this book, I found that um, oftentimes it would feel unsatisfying, uh, especially when I was looking into specifically like the black history of my hometown, there were like sources, there were things I could find, but it just always felt kind of like I got like a little piece and there's maybe like a nice, like chunk of a news article, but then that's it. And like, where's first person sources and right. been, like speaking to people, like it, it just became this kind of piecemeal, um, feeling to it. And then the other research for this book, which is into um, missing and murdered Black children and specifically girls, that was where I was looking at like cases, looking at transcripts, looking at like the the big um, the the big thing, which is true crime. And I feel like one of the biggest criticisms of true crime is that we don't talk enough about marginalized folks in their cases. Right. And I was looking into that and I'm like, oh, I think, you know, everything, everything else with that statement and the cases aren't satisfying because they're usually missing an ending or they're missing a middle. They're missing like the, the three parts of a story are right the beginning, the right. middle and the end. And we're missing a piece of them. Uh, and as I encountered this over and over and over again, of course, my first instinct as a writer is to then supply those pieces. I'm like, oh, I want to, I want to put the beginning. I want, I want to, like, you know, make this into this oh so satisfying arc that uh, we all know and love so well. And as I did that, I realized that the erasure is also another kind of violence. And so I wanted to 
kind of give the reader, again, within reason, I still want the book to be enjoyable, <laughs> um, within reason, give the reader that feeling of just finding little pieces of stuff and having to link together everything because we don't find out what happens to every single person in the story at the end some something just left wide open and that is that openness is a part of its ending so when it came to formatting i wanted to emulate the just things being different as much as possible and I wanted to emulate, um, that's the one just, it, just to A, give, give the reader a heads up, hey, something else is going on here. <laughs> um, but I wanted it to have that kind of both um, piecemeal quality and then at the same time still feeling, feeling like they're pieces that begin, that lead to a part of a whole quality. So that is really with all the different formatting and the different forms of storytelling, where that's coming from is that I wanted, uh, the reader to start to clock that, okay, this story is going to take not just, you know, this one character speaking to me, it's going to take another character speaking to me, it's going to take a news article, it's going to take this announcement page that I'm finding, it's going to take this transcript that I have to read, it's going to take a lot of different pieces to give you the entire story as a whole. And I don't know. For my for my my mystery taste, I kind of like when the author doesn't put it all together for me. I like I like putting some stuff together for myself, and so I wanted I wanted to have like a bit of that going on too, because there are like little things in each of those pieces that if you you can, um, I would hope on a future re you can like pull them out and see. Oh, that's going to come back over around here, and that's going to come back to this. Yeah. I can't wait to add this to my just like reread list because I have a <laughs> a running circle of like, okay, what do I need to reread again? What's what's the vibe right now? And I, yeah, now just knowing that like, oh yeah, I need to now see the pieces that I missed because I am the like, I don't want it spelled out for me. I, I want the hints there, but I'm always like, okay, I'm going to figure it out before we get there. And, you know, sometimes I do. This case, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's it's such a, a brilliant point of like aiding the reader in the sense of like, hey, in the past are the kind of old ways that I love seeing shrugged off. And as we're evolving as like audiences that we're being more creative with how books are presented to readers that we're seeing mm -hmm. instead now that like you don't have to take, you know, the effort to notice the tone has shifted and have that be a distraction or have it not be, I don't know. I, I think of like the classics that I've read that make use of a lot of different voices that I, and you know, of course the listeners didn't see me air quote and then roll my eyes on classics, but <laughs> I have no problem shading the classics. Um, you know, like there's, there's always something lost to me and that is what I loved so much about seeing the fonts shift, seeing the different types of like, like you said, the articles, the the kind of newspaper clippings, those elements pulled in because it feels so much more immersive. And it also really lends to that true crime identity as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I appreciate the the attention drawn to the the number of cases of people of color that are either just riddled with like, police neglect as far as actually researching um, people whose voices are either silenced or don't feel safe coming forward if they saw something or if they were witness to it's it's such an important conversation to be had um, 
mm-hmm. and to be able to continue. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for all of that. Um, yeah, it was something that I am, you know, endlessly curious about. And also something that, you know, as I was doing my research, some like, you know, I get I get angry, I get like enraged, I get frustrated and trying to figure out like how do I best utilize this this feeling that I have uh and bring it into the story in a way that feels um productive and not just traumatizing and not in a way that is going to I want readers to be uncomfortable. I don't want them to hurt. I want them to be uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, in the way that all of these genres should make you feel that. And yeah. and all of these formatting choices and the way that you have written this story really lead to beautiful pacing. Um, do you have anything, like any specific thoughts around how you build pace? I know like you can feel Liz's energy shift and things get more frenetic as we go, but did you find that kind of using some of the formatting or just other thoughts in general helped with pacing or your work around it? Honestly, um, two things with pacing. Uh, mm-hmm. Number one, it, it helped massively to be in a dramatic writing program while <laughs> I was revising this book. Um, because that is, oh my goodness, the amount of pacing down to like the page count down to like, this has to happen on this page or else your screen, your screenplay is going to be totally, you know, off center. So like borrowing some of those rigid TV writing and screenwriting rules, uh, and then like, you know, loosening them up for a book was, uh, extremely helpful. Um, I say, I was explaining to somebody that a lot of this uh, formatting uh, is an elaborate ruse um, (laughs) because if you look at the book, it's actually extremely regular. If you go and tear it down to the bones, it's very regular. It's just adding the other stuff on top of it. So yeah, I found that when I was going revising and going to the bones and be like, hey, what's going on? I really borrowed from um, from screenwriting pacing mm-hmm. and from uh, t- and from episodic TV pacing, where we're always going to have something to carry us into the next act of the book, uh, and that like there each section has like its own little arc to carry us through, and then into the next section, into the next section. Right. So when it comes to pacing, yeah, it's very difficult. I would say that it's also this, uh, another thing that I learned from acting, which is all of your characters are just as smart as you are. Nobody is dumb. <laughs> they might think differently than you. Um, okay. They might have a different kind of intelligence, but everyone is just as smart as you are. And so that means that, you know, they're going to go through their tactics and they're going to go through what they want pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> right. and, and then suddenly huh. you'll you know will have like solved you know some some first part of this mystery then you're like okay well now I gotta go on to the next thing um and I think for me pacing was if I ever felt like the reader was getting ahead of my main character in an unhelpful way sometimes mm-hmm. we do have to be a little bit ahead of her uh but if it's ever unhelpful uh then it's like no she's just as smart as you are like what's the next thing Right. Where would she fall next? I love that. It 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 definitely has the feel of movie episodic, like 
every element is important. It is a well balance of scene, action, and character. Have you had any discussions about an audiobook for Jackal? Yes. Um, they've been, I think they've actually been pretty straightforward. Uh, the audiobook, I I think I can say it. I can't say who, but it's it's two narrators. There are gonna be two narrators. That was gonna be my question. Yeah. <laughs> that was the follow-up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are two narrators. I am curious as to how they will be utilized because as you said, there are like there are transcripts. I wonder if they're gonna like trade off lines for transcripts. Oh, I um I wonder who is gonna read the newspaper articles. Will it be obviously obviously Liz is one of the narrators, my main character, and then right. this mysterious other narrator. Well, will they be reading it? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, there's two. Interesting. Oh, yeah. No, I will be listening to that when it's ready. <laughs> Just <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm I mean, so excited. <laughs> I I'm an audiobook lover through and through. And and that performative quality, where I'm like, okay, please say there's going to be two narrators. <laughs> yes. yes, yes, there will be two. So cool. I love that. In your research, were you inspired by any specific true crime cases? I know in you had kind of a lot of like general talk around it, as well as urban legends. And then is there any pop culture? I would lie if I didn't say I thought of Candyman at some point while yeah. reading. Like, <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, okay, so I'm trying to think. there's like that's twofold so the first is when it comes to specific true crime cases I had a moment in research where I was like I want to be respectful to anyone whose family this is affecting directly and so I like like with my characters I refuse to make a direct one-to-one correlation for any of the uh, victims um, in this book Uh, I basically just took like little bits of what I'd found and then would create something totally different and new. Uh, so, so in that case, like that's how that research was kind of bled into the book that I really wanted to um, use the, the magic of fiction to be like, this yeah. is fictional. <laughs> Absolutely. I didn't know uh, if you would find that with yeah. either both victim or our mysterious killing force. Yeah. And then um, I will say, but the one of the uh, cases that I did find myself going back to is the Atlanta child murders. Like that case is huge and messy. Uh, And any time I found myself questioning, I was like, oh, could this happen? Or like, I think like, like, you know, tens of children just go missing. And I'm like, look at the Atlanta child murders, Aaron. It's it's right here. (laughs) It's right here. It literally happened. That was a major metropolitan police force, like a big city police force. And this happened for way too long to way too many people. Uh, so uh, for better or worse, anytime that I was running up against or I'm like, oh, what? I was like, oh, could that happen? I would look and I would find a case where that happened multiple times. So there was that aspect of it. Um, Love it. I know. <laughs> Not really, like, but yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's 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 a double-edged sword where I'm like oh you know for all those lovely things we love about fiction like for stakes for um uh for for obstacles it's really great but then like in actuality you're like hey but can we can we can we work on this please <laughs> like right. can, this can, not we, can we actually like anymore? fix this yeah yeah um and then when it comes to pop culture uh I <laughs> I tend to fixate occasionally on like um usually movies because I like having a movie on in the background I'm a background Mm -hmm. girly um and having a movie on the background and this uh 
two movies really in working on this book came to help me solidify things. And one was, one was Candyman. Okay. Absolutely. Candyman. <laughs> there was like, there was a solid chapter where I was like, I can't stop thinking about him. <laughs> yes. One was Candyman. And the other was um, Silence of the Lambs. The vibes, the vibes are there yes. for both. Yeah. Yes. Like oftentimes when I like latch on to um, a, a piece of work like that, it's more for like, um, oh, it's for this. It's for the rhythms and it's for the containers. Uh, the the rhythms is just the storytelling rhythm. Like um, Silence of the Lambs especially has a really nice um, like locking in and zeroing down before like the, the big battle happens at the end. Like, and it has like right. a really nice, like clippy, clippy pace to it, especially by the end as a nice build. But it's like, you know, watching it over and over again, just to like literally hear the rhythm over and over again. Uh, and then when it comes to containers, there. Okay, this is when I get really geeky. Uh, Love it. <laughs> uh, something that I learned. Uh, so it'd be something that I learned in school that I then I was like, oh, I do this all the time. Uh, was just literally seeing how something is put together. Kind of the best way I can describe it without becoming a bit too like meta is. Um, the same thing that a lot of designers do when they take apart a piece of garment to figure mm -hmm. out how the garment gets put back together. Um, I will uh, do that with different works where I'm like, okay, where does the first turn come in and why? And what is the nature of that turn? Uh, and just kind of do that over and over again and figure out, I'm like, okay, well, they put it together this way. Um, into you know this effect, what would happen if I also borrowed that that container, shape, so yeah. to speak, that that shape? Yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense. It <laughs> <That> makes <laughs> so much sense, and that is so cool. Uh, yeah. Now I'm like, now I, I I can see both Candyman and Silence of the Lambs, and I'm just like, wow, <laughs> my, my my mind is blown. Oh. Uh. It's so good. I, those are also just like two of my favorite movies to just throw on whenever. I don't know what that says yeah. about me. I swear I'm a normal person, but <laughs> yeah, no, they're 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 excellent movies, and you I mean yeah, they're 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 just very well constructed. Um, they're well constructed stories. Yeah. Um, my last heavy question for you before we go into some <laughs> questions from a nosy podcaster. You portray a lot of moments between mother and daughter. You look at love, tension, and respect. Uh, and both moms and maternal figures play a huge role throughout the entire story. How did you decide on this kind of narrative device? Oof. All right. Try When it comes to mothers and daughters, I... It's one of those things where when you're writing, if something just keeps coming up and keeps like resurfacing, you're like, well, that's something that has to be in here. Sure. Uh, and I just really, I don't know, something that I was just curious about, something that I like writing about and that I, 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 I really love complicated mother-daughter relationships. I like seeing just more, just more of them, different capacities. I also find that like, another way another diversity is age uh and I'm like what is it to have a like be like a relationship with your mother in your 30s versus like you right know, when you're a kid yeah. <laughs> when you're a kid when you're a teenager I'm like what is it now um 
And True. so there was like, like there was that I just wanted to be curious about. And also like, I am like, I was mostly, I'm mostly raised my mother. Like I'm mm-hmm. the child of a single parent. Uh, and that just means that you have like a really intense relationship with your mother. <laughs> sure. And, and so just like with, you know, lots of fiction, something where I'm just like, I'm curious about it. I'm like, I want, I want to read more about mother daughter relationships. I want to see take a them when, to explore. Yeah. I want to explore them. I want to see them when they're, you know, not sunshiny and perfect. I want to see them complicated. I want to see them when they're at odds with each other. And I want to see how, you know, how do you, begin to repair that relationship when well, not like if it's broken repaired and if right. it is um strong what is keeping that strength there what is you know what is holding everything together um and so my mind my, my, my mind went to broken because um mm-hmm. something that i was very that kind of came in like once i made in the last revision of the book was um the main character of beginning to see your parents as human and I feel like it happens when you're a teen usually or when you're younger but then I feel like it happens again when you get older oh absolutely the cracks (laughs) happen when you're a teen and you're like hmm I think you might just be scared and then suddenly you're their age when they had you and you're like yeah oh I get it now or once they start to age my parents are both in their 60s and so now that it's like oh how do we how do I as an almost 30 year old help my parents the way that they helped me it's it's a lot to you you definitely have that like second coming moment where you're just like yep uh things are different yes so I wanted uh I wanted um that I wanted having a mo- having some moments of that for for Liz as she goes through of realizing that like her mother is human and every part of that every every facet of humanity that that means and what it means to be looking at it again as a fully grown adult right and it's a very light book very <laughs> like, get very lighthearted, very light-hearted. no <laughs> drama at all. It's just be treated. Like. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, to wrap us up on some some lighter notes, uh, this okay. these are my nosy podcaster questions. Uh, what are you binging right now? Okay, I didn't do it in the pandemic, and I did it after grad school because I was like, "What is this?" I just watched. All of Bridgerton. Oh dang! Okay. I know. I didn't. I didn't watch it all during the pandemic, and I was like, you know what? Let's see what's going on with this. And yeah, no, I uh, call it the theater background. Like, uh, I love, I love a good period romance. Absolutely, can't be mad at it. <laughs> yes. So I just, um, yeah, I binge watched Bridgerton, um, and then I'm trying to think of. Oh, great. I'm blanking. Of course, I'm blanking on the name of the book that I just started because this is what happens to me. I have started um, the Black Leopard Red Wolf. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have, yes, I have been like, it's been sitting on my shelf forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, yes, please. Uh, as much as like, if I, if I, if I love historical romance, I love some like complicated fantasy worlds. And so I'm very truth? excited. Yeah, so it's a so, great it's a great series <laughs> yeah so I'm like I just you know just casually started that 
Um, when I say public library, what comes to mind? When I say public library, I was like the carpet. I don't. Hey, that's fair. They've all got weird, different carpets. I have a very specific carpet, and the smell—the smell of old books. Mm-hmm. Um, what comes to mind? Carpet, the smell of old books, and um, I when I would summer at my dad's house, we would go to the library every week and I would get like seven books. And the rule was I could get as many books as I wanted as long as I would read all of them. Uh, and so I did because the library, I think you could only get like five or something. And the uh, librarian was like, if you read all of them, you can get seven. <laughs> so, yes. so, so I'm seven, read seven. seven books. Yeah. So seven books that. also comes to mind. <laughs> Do you have a favorite restaurant to go to? You're in New York City. I've got to get a good rack. <laughs> oh my god. There are so many. Um Like what's your if you're ordering, if you're just like this is my go-to to go out for the night or whatever. Where do I go? Like I always take people who visit me to mm-hmm. there's this place called Mermaid Inn. Oh. It's fun. like yeah, it's close to me, and they do like it's New England, New England seafood. Got it. Okay. Yeah, right like lobster rolls, lobster rolls, Ooh. chowder, like uh, oysters. I love seafood. That's so fun. Who doesn't love a lobster roll? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, what project that you can talk about are you working on right now? I'm working on book two. Uh, Exciting. Book two is I'm I'm trying to think. Okay, no, I can I can say this. Uh, we're going if um, if Jackal was looking at a more kind of homecoming mm-hmm. horror mystery, then book two is definitely looking at more of a domestic horror, a la the calls are coming from inside the house, kind so to speak. Oh <laughs> also, my favorite turn of phrase: <laughs> the calls are coming from inside the house. Oh. I can't wait. I cannot wait. I will be eagerly awaiting that one. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm in the, in the process of like getting, I have like the first, like the, I have the quote of what I call the quote of the bad draft is done. Uh, now I'm, I'm making, making it better. I'm making it better now. <laughs> Got to get through the bad draft before you can have a, a decent one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then if, if Jackal were to be a movie, who would play Liz? Oh my, God, my writing group and I have talked about this many times. <laughs> um, who's your, who's um, your like dream or who do you envision? Oh, okay. Wait, yeah. No, okay. The dream, the dream would be Michaela Cole, hands down. Absolutely. 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 Oh, yeah. perfect answer. Perfect yeah. answer. <laughs> Before I let you go, where can the listeners find you online? Yes. So I am at... I am E.E. Adams on um, all the socials, all the platforms. I occasionally TikTok. Don't hold me to it. Uh, I'll pop on and make a little video every so often. Uh, And most frequently on Instagram and Twitter. But at I am E.E. Adams. Awesome. Well, Erin, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing Jackal with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for reading the book early. Thank you for all your questions. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. 
Thank you. And listeners, remember, you can pick up Jackal out on October 4th from Bantam. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, happy reading. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.